the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Everybody say, get up. Get up and go. Say, go. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods. Uh, notice that it was their gods are different from Jonah's God. For help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. We're going to drop on down to verse 12. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. And they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I want to preach a sermon series for the next two, maybe three weeks that I've titled Get in the Game. And this morning I want to preach the first message in that series to you. Everybody has a place on the team. Everybody has a place on the team. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we just thank you for your presence that we've already felt here today. We thank you for the wonderful worship. We thank you for every precious person, Lord, that is uh, in this house today and watching us online. I pray, Lord, for the next few moments you would remove every hindrance that would come against us today and that you would anoint these lips of clay to speak your words, that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you want to speak to your people today. And God, I pray that more than anything, before we leave this place today or before we turn off live stream, that God, we would make a decision. Lord, based upon what your word is challenging us to do today. And that is to get to our place on your team. And God, will give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. I truly believe uh, this morning that we find ourselves in a pivotal position for our church. Uh, and I also believe that we have the potential right now to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? I believe that we do this morning. And when I look back over the last eight years and nine months from where we uh, began, the best way that I know to express it 
is how the saints of old have been, ex- have been saying it from many years ago. And that is they would say, the Lord has brought us a mighty long way. Can I get a witness this morning? Uh, particularly from those of you that were uh, with us from that first, uh, that first assembling together with 42 people uh, in a hotel meeting room. The Lord has brought us a mighty long way. And He has definitely been the one that has done it. Praise the Lord. But what we must realize this morning is that we are not finished yet. Did you hear me? We are not by any means finished yet. The clock is ticking. Sister Sue Woodruff uh, preached a wonderful message just a few weeks ago about the clock is ticking. And yes, the clock is ticking, but the buzzer hasn't sounded yet. And as the clock keeps ticking, we have to keep working for the win. Are you with me this morning? Now, I don't really want to talk about the game this week. Hello. Got quiet, right? Nobody really wants to talk about the game this week. Here's all I can tell you about the game this week. It was bad. I know it was really bad. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that I sat there and and actually thought in my mind, I thought, I think this is worse. I would rather watch the Christian Leitner shot again. Is anybody with me? From 1992. Anybody remember that? That was, and I'll tell you why I would rather watch that. As much as I disliked Christian Leitner because of that shot. And I know that it was highly debated as to whether or not, uh, and you could watch the film, whether or not the ball actually left his hands in time. But the officials called it good. And it was a, a three-point winning shot that won the championship. I would rather have watched that than to watch us give up before the game was over. Are you with me this morning? See, I believe that's where we are at in the church today. Too many times we want to think we've already got it in the bag. We want to think that we don't have to give it all we've got, but yet the clock is ticking, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we are staying in the game, actively fighting to win until the buzzer sounds. That's our job to do. As the clock keeps ticking, we're supposed to keep working for the win. What does the Word of God say in the book of John chapter 9 and verse 4? He said, we must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. And I tell you this morning, night is coming. If you've been watching anything at all in the current events of this world, you you would realize the potential that we have for things to get really, really bad in this world as we know it. Night is coming, folks, but we must work while it's day because night is coming when no one can work. we got to keep working until the buzzer sounds. Can I tell you this morning, we have so much more to do for the kingdom of God. We have one souls, and I thank God for that, many, many souls, but I'm just going to be honest with you today and tell you something I see as a pastor. We've won many souls, but many of them still need to be nurtured through discipleship so that they can grow in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are countless others who are yet to learn that 
every challenge, through every challenge, every trouble, every problem that we might face in this life, there are others who uh, have been won to the kingdom, but they are yet to learn that your worship is your warfare. Are you with me this morning? While you worship, God goes to war. That's why in the church in the Old Testament, they had the Levites at the temple. The Levites were the people that were on the front line of the battle. I didn't talk about this at 845, but I want to talk about it just a little bit right now because the Lord just dropped it in my spirit. The Levites were the people that were on the forefront of the battle and it was their worship that won the battle. When they took their place and they began to worship. I want to tell you, your battles are won when you worship when you don't feel like it. When you worship when everything in the world is falling apart and going wrong and you feel like you have no reason to worship. If you'll worship then you will find God come to your aid And it'll win the battle every single time. We have so many people that are yet to learn that through every challenge we face on this journey, our worship is our warfare. And then there are multitudes of souls, multitudes, who we have yet to win them for the kingdom of God. Multitudes in the valley of decision. As the writer said, Rick Warren, if you don't know who he is, he's the pastor of Saddleback Church in California. Saddleback Church was a church that he planted and it started as a mobile church. And for those of you that were with us, we, how many was in here this morning when we were a mobile church? When we set up and tore down sound systems and chairs and all that lovely stuff every weekend. There's hands spread out all over the room. You remember what that was like. Particularly those of you that came and did it every single weekend. We were a mobile church. And so we were so thankful when God gave us a building on American Greeting Card Road. And we settled down in a nice uh, building to worship in. But... Um, I want to tell you that Rick Warren was, uh, you know, when we got to running 70 to 100 people at actually about 115, I guess, at the technology center out here when we were no longer a mobile church and we secured a building and we moved in. Can I tell you that Rick Warren planted Saddleback Church and it was mobile until they were 10,000 in number. Can you imagine? They set up and tore down in arenas every weekend until they were 10,000 in number. And now he pastors this massive church in California. And listen to what he says when you know about his church and think about the size of his church. I want you to hear this. He said, every church, say every, every church, regardless, every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship, deeper through discipleship, Stronger through worship and larger through evangelism. Every church. So let me say this. Here's what I find sometimes uh, on this journey that we're on. I find that sometimes when a church reaches a certain uh, amount of people, sometimes some people begin to get uncomfortable. They begin to feel like they're no longer as necessary, no longer as needed, no longer as wanted or whatever the case may be. But can I tell you this morning that that is one of the oldest tricks of the devil on the church known to mankind. God never intended for his church to reach a certain point and then stop. God intended for us to work while it's day. 
Because night is coming when no man can work. God intended for you to work and do a job, but for God to send somebody else to work and maybe do that same job to relieve you and give you a little bit of rest, but also to do their part on the team. Are you with me this morning? God, somebody said, now pastor, preacher, don't you start preaching to me that God's concerned about numbers uh, and the amount of people that attend a church. What did he say uh, in the four gospels? He said, he told them to go out and compel them to come in. Why did he say that? He gave us why he said that. He said, that my house may be full. Well, you can look around this morning. We've got empty seats that could be filled, but guess what? When we fill them at 845 and we fill them at 11, we're not going to stop there. We'll add another service. We'll throw up a mezzanine and put a balcony. We'll do whatever we need to do to keep working while it's day, to get as many souls as we can, to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. We have so much more to do for the kingdom. But at the same time, there are so many who are also yet to get in the game. But I want you to notice this morning that nowhere in this account does it ever say that Jonah was not gifted or anointed. Nowhere. In fact, the account indicates that Jonah was called. That he was commissioned by God with a life or death message. It was a repent or burn message. Some of y'all think that I preach it hard sometimes. Right? Oh, I've heard it before. Now, preacher, if you just, if you just let people work out their own salvation in fear and trembling. If you, boy, y'all are quiet today. If you just... If you just steer away from those topics and not say much of anything about them and let, let people make their own decision about that, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be as offensive and people would like it better and all of those things. I was reading this week about this story and I thought, my goodness, I'm, I mean, Jonah's message was pretty cut and dry. Did you read what the, what the main text said? He said, go, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. Now think about that. That's a pretty cut and dry message. That's a repent or burn message. That's a turn from your sin or you're on your way to hell message. Are you with me this morning? Here's what I'm, you might have seen this. I put a post out on social media. Really it was more for next weekend's message than it was for today. But you may have read some of it and I asked a couple questions and I read all the responses and, and in addition to the responses I also received multiple uh, messenger inbox messages from people who did not want to comment on the stream but they wanted to, to, to give me their uh, two cents on that and that I appreciated as well and so here's what I found when I read uh, those messages yes there, there were some of those um, that would, would lean to the other side of you know to be careful and don't offend and those kinds of things but by and large here's what I found I found there is a generation of people that want to hear the truth they want to hear the unadulterated uncompromised uncensored version, if you will, of the church of God. 
And you know what I find? I find the majority of the time that generation is the younger generation whom a lot of what you will preach to uh, they're going to be guilty of. But they are hungry for somebody to tell them, show them the way, tell them the truth, preach them the word. Why? Because where the word is, there's liberty and there's freedom from the bondages that we face in our life. But here's what I also find. This generation wants the truth, but I also find we've got a generation of churchgoers who say, oh, steer away from that. Let me just, I kind of like church the way it is. I like to go. I like the worship. I like the music. I like the lights. I like the, uh, I like the socialism. I like the community. That's a big word today, and people do need community. I like all of those things, but, but. Don't, don't preach where I'm living now. Well, next Sunday I'll have the 845 crowd. I'm thinking I might lose 75% of y'all. I don't know. <laughs> don't preach where I'm living. Maybe that generation also comes to living. That, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, don't preach where I'm living, preacher. Don't, don't, don't do that. Now, he's judging me. Listen, I want to tell you something. The only time I ever shy away from preaching something is when I do know something. And I'm standing up here looking at you. So you can rest assured, if I'm preaching it, I'm definitely not trying to preach it to offend you. I'm preaching it because God's given it to me. And we need in the church to begin to mark up to the Word of God again. Are you with me? Because when we don't mark up to the Word of God, you know what happens? The church loses its power. It becomes a social club and an entertainment center. But we got a generation of lost souls all around us that are not looking for a social club. They're not looking for an entertainment center. They're looking for a place of truth where there's power and anointing that will set them free and change their life. Nowhere in this account does it say that Jonah was not gifted or anointed. God give him and commissioned him. He called him and commissioned him with this life or death message. So Jonah didn't take the bench or ride the pine because he wasn't able or due to lack of ability. Jonah's issue is the same exact issue that most of us who have never seen the field, never had play in time, choose to stand on the sidelines or remain in the stands. You know what that is? Bench warmers are often reluctant. Jonah was reluctant for several reasons that we'll look at today and in the coming weeks. But for now, let me just tell you the reasons that so many other people are reluctant. And the reasons are numerous. But let me just mention these. Many times we're reluctant to respond because we underestimate our own call or gift. We think, I can't do that as good as they do, so I'll let them do it. I, I can't teach as good as they do, or I can't sing as good as they do, so I'll let them do it. We underestimate our own call or our own gift. We are reluctant because we know our own story, and we know our own heart too well, and sometimes we disqualify ourselves without ever even consulting God to find out if He still has a place for us on the field. I read something this week from one of my pastor friends, uh, a very seasoned pastor uh, from Berea, the Berea Church of God, Pastor Stephen Hobbs posted this week on social media how that so many times in the church we want to advertise and publicize when somebody fails. 
But we don't make as big of a deal about celebrating when they get back up. Can I tell you, that's what the church needs to be. We don't necessarily need to advertise and publicize when somebody fails. But by all means, we need to celebrate when they get back up. Because getting back up is what keeps you in the game. Getting back up is what wins the battle. Here's another one. Many times we allow our own mistakes to anchor us to the bench. Sometimes we become trapped by the schedule of our own making. We're the ones that made that schedule. But then we realize we don't have the time or the energy to fulfill the call of God on our lives. And so when the opportunity to serve comes, we refuse to give up our warm, safe, comfortable, scheduled seat on the sidelines. I said this at 8.45, so I'm going to say it again at 11 a.m. If you're watching on live stream this morning, I love you. We love you. Somebody else said, I love you too. So you got another I love you in here. We love you. But I'm just going to be honest. I'm tired of hearing, do you know how much I enjoyed worshiping on my couch in my PJs with a cup of coffee in my hand? What has happened to the church world? One of the things that has happened through this pandemic to the church world is we have allowed the enemy to trick us into taking a seat on the sidelines. Because when you're doing that, you have just removed yourself from being a participator to being a spectator. And God needs participators on the field. Are you with me this morning? Live stream has its place, and it's good when you can't be here. It's good sometimes to go back and rewatch and listen again to what the Lord did, or witness a baptism again, or hear another message, or whatever. Listen to a song that blessed you on Sunday. All those things are wonderful, but let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the word says, as the manner of some is. Even so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't allow, I love you, but don't allow the enemy to trick you to taking a seat on the sidelines when God has a place for you on the field to play in the game. Somebody say amen. amen. Many times we also we listen to somebody else's opinion about us and we sometimes allow their voice to become louder than God's voice in our lives. We become like the star in college that hears the pro scouts say he doesn't have the arm. He doesn't have the speed. He's made too many mistakes for God to use them. In the church, we say she made one too many bad decisions for God to use her. And so we hesitate. Next week, we're going to talk more about football. But this week, I'm going to use a couple good basketball quotes. And Michael Jordan said this. And I want you to listen to it and let it sink in this morning. He said, I've missed more than, than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to make the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Think about that. See, the enemy would like to tell you, because of maybe some past failure, that you're down and out. The enemy would like to tell some of you, maybe because you missed a shot, that you just need to take a seat on the bench. 
The enemy would like to tell you, you don't have a place on the field or on the court or in the game anymore because of something else that happened. But can I tell you, God sent me by to tell you this morning to get up and go and do the work that God has given you to do. Get in the game because everybody has a position on the team. So I asked you this morning, why are you hesitating? Why are you so reluctant to respond? What is keeping you on the bench and from getting in the game? The reasons for reluctance that we've talked about are numerous, and I just mentioned a few. But the implications of reluctance are disastrous, and I want to mention a couple of those this morning. First of all, reluctance will destroy you personally. Even though nobody else noticed Jonah, God did. God noticed. Even though nobody else perceived Jonah's reluctance, God pinpointed out. The sailors on that boat, they had no idea what God was dealing with Jonah to do. You and I have no idea what God is dealing with somebody else to do, but God knows. Those sailors didn't know what God was dealing with Jonah to do, but God knew. And I want to tell you, the Lord will call you up. And if you are reluctant, sometimes he will call you out. The personal implication for Jonah is that he goes from sleep to storm. Because when God calls you and you are reluctant, you might as well get ready. Because you're not going to sleep. And you're probably going to find yourself in a storm. As I was preparing this message this week, I reminisced in my mind. And many of you don't even know, but how that... uh, Many years ago, not even having any idea that I had anything physically wrong in my uh, my body, I developed a massive blood clot. But see, I was running from the call to preach, and I knew it. I was a worship pastor. I was working for the Lord. I was going to church, but I knew that God was calling me to preach. And the last thing I wanted to do was to have the responsibility to have to preach. Uh, And then later on, once I embraced the fact that God had called me to preach, the last thing I wanted to do was ever to pastor a church. I just wanted to evangelize or serve as an associate. And then one day when I finally embraced that I knew where God was taking me, and I was one day going to be a senior pastor, the very last thing I ever wanted to do was to plant a church. Because nobody in their right mind plants a church unless God says to plant a church. I want to tell you, it's not an easy nor is it a fun road. But back up until when I was running from the call to preach, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I I did not know. I had never had any experience with the blood clot. I didn't know what one looked like or what one felt like. But I knew something was bad wrong with my left leg and It looked like I may have a blood clot because it was discolored, it was swollen, it was hot, all of those different things. We went to the hospital, long story short, it was a 17-day stay. My left leg swelled to 36 inches in diameter before I had three surgical procedures that finally removed about 95% of the clot. But while I was in that hospital, God used an evangelist that we had ministered with many times who called me and quoted Psalm 116 and 15 or 116 and 17. Somewhere in there, uh, he quoted to me, The Lord told me to tell you, You shall not die, but you shall live 
and declare the works of the Lord. Just like Jonah, he didn't know what God was dealing with me about and what God was saying to me, but I knew and God knew. And I knew if I wanted God to heal to heal me, I was going to have to surrender to the call of God on my life. So I laid in that hospital and I said, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, if you'll heal my leg, I'll preach. If you'll allow me to keep it. They were talking amputation at the time. I said, I'll preach the gospel if you'll allow me to keep it. Once uh, they told me if I didn't have to have it amputated, if they were able to get the clot, it would never be the same size again, never be the same color again. I would have problems and issues for the rest of my life because of the clotting disorder we discovered that I had. I would have another clot uh, within five years. That was just a given. All of these different things. But I'm telling you, I answered the call to preach that God had on my life. And I said, God, if you'll heal my leg, I will preach this gospel. And I'm standing before you today, both my legs. Yeah, I know they're fat, but both of them are the same size. And they may not, they're the same color. I don't have one that's red and purple. They're both functioning. And guess what else? I, that has been 15 years ago this past January. And I've never had another blood clot. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God will call you up. And if you don't answer, God might just call you out. Why? Because God has a purpose for you. God has a position for you on the field, in the game, and in the ministry of the gospel. The implication for Jonah is that his plans got swallowed. You thought God's plans for you were rough. Try being thrown overboard in the middle of a storm. Can you imagine? Try being thrown overboard on the ocean in the middle of a storm. I'll just tell you right now, I'm scared to death of sharks. I love the ocean. But you could throw me overboard on a clear sunny day and I'd scream like a girl. Because I'd be afraid I'd be eat before I ever made it back to the boat. But can you imagine being thrown over? I know Cheryl Tinsley can. In the middle of a storm. She lived through that. That's what happened with Jonah. And he tries to escape and instead he gets trapped inside a fish. Listen, here's what I'm saying folks. God knows. God knows. You can't escape his call. The call of God is without repentance. And let me say this, everybody, say everybody. Everybody who is a believer has a calling. Everybody. Now, no, they're not all the same, but everybody has a place on the team. And you can run, but you can't hide. David accurately assesses the ability of God to track us down in Psalms 139. Let's look at him. He says, where can I go? From your spirit. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well My frame was not hidden from you When I was made in secret And skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth Your eyes saw my substance Being yet unformed And in your book They all were written The days that you fashioned for me When as yet there were none of them 
him. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Listen, you can be reluctant this morning, but you need to rest assured God is relentless. You can't go too far. You can't go too deep. It can't go too long that God will not continually do what they sang about just a few minutes ago. His goodness will continue running after you. His goodness will continue chasing you down. Why? Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a purpose. God has a plan for you on the team and in the kingdom. And not only will your reluctance destroy you, but it also has the potential, lastly, to destroy those around you. I think it's crucial to remember that there are some severe implications of Jonah's reluctance to serve for some other people in this story. The guy responsible, think about this this morning, the one guy responsible for saving an entire city preferred to sit on the sidelines. So I have a question for you this morning. If Jonah's reluctance had been ignored and accepted by God, how many souls would have been lost? You've you got to fast forward in this story to chapter 4 and to the very last verse of this entire story. You discover that Jonah's reluctance put over 120,000 lives and souls at risk. I want you to stop for just a minute and, and just let that sink in. One man put 120,000 men, women, Boys and girls at risk due to his reluctance. An entire city would have been wiped off of the face of the planet. Listen, your reluctance can not only destroy you, but it can also destroy those around you. Other people's lives are at stake. Former University of North Carolina basketball coach, Dean Smith, who was one of the greatest coaches of all times, even though I was never a North Carolina fan, he said this, and it's so true. He said, there's a point in every contest where sitting on the sidelines is no longer an option. There's a point in every contest where sitting on the sidelines is no longer an option. I ask you this morning, how many souls will be at risk if you hesitate? How many family members would have gotten involved in church if you had stuck it out? How many friends might would have seen your life turn around and then choose the same course that you made? Because if you can, surely they can change too. If God can change them, you, surely He can change them. How many people are at risk when you're reluctant? Listen. Don't ever underestimate the power of your voice. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I know I'm speaking to some people. Don't underestimate the power of your serve this morning. Get in the game and turn the tide. Sometimes you've got to fight through the doubt. Sometimes you've got to fight through the shame. Sometimes you've got to fight through the fear. But I want you to hear me this morning when I say this. Jonah's gift matters. Jonah's gift made a major difference for the kingdom of heaven. But I came to tell you this morning, you may not realize it and you may not think it, but your gift matters. 
And your gift can make a major difference for the kingdom of heaven. I want you to hear me this morning when I say, you have a place on the team. And without you, the team can't function at its fullest capacity. Without you, overall performance of the team will suffer. You have a part to play on the team. But guess what? I think we saw it this week. I think Oscar, I love Oscar Shibway. I love, number one, his talent, but I also, number one, right there with it, I love his faith and how he's not ashamed to express his faith. But I think we saw this past week that one man can't win the game by himself. It takes everybody on the team feeling their part, playing their position if they'll come to the music this morning. You have a part to play on the team. But I also want you to listen to me when I say this today. Listen to me. We have to make room for everybody on the team. We have to make room for everybody to be on the team. Nobody owns a position. We should take pride in it. We should serve joyfully. But nobody owns a song. I'm going to tell you, if you lead a song... And it's on, in my heart, on my heart on a Sunday morning and you ain't here. Guess who's going to sing it? Me or Abby or Nicholas. Abby because I can tell her what to do. And Nicholas because I signed his paychecks. Amen. <laughs> but somebody's going to sing that song. Nobody owns a position. Nobody owns a song. Everybody's work is important. But we have to make room for everybody on the team. Because it's only when everybody is working on the team and filling their, playing their position, that's when we're operating at our fullest capacity. And that's when we have the ability and the potential to do great things for the kingdom of God. Listen, this is not just about somebody said, oh preacher, you're trying to grow a big church. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm not trying to not grow a big church. You know why? Uh, I know sometimes people get uncomfortable with that, but here's why. Jesus said to his own disciples, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And then he went on to tell them why he wanted them to do that. He said, that my house may be full. You can look around this morning. We got some empty seats. We can fill these seats. And then when we fill these seats, we may have to add another service or build on or do something else. But guess what? God wants his house to be full. If God wants his house to be full, it ain't up to me to decide whether or not it should be full. It's my job to get in my place, my position on the team, and play in the game and try to get as many people in the seats to hear the life-changing power of the gospel. That's what God, that's what God is calling us to do. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning. Folks, this isn't just about us, it's about them. Them that would be lost if we don't serve. Those that would be lost if we don't submit. Maybe it isn't 120,000 souls that are at risk this morning. But isn't one soul lost by our reluctance far too great of a price? Far too high of a price to pay? Just one soul. 
every single person in this building won just one soul to the kingdom. The church here would double overnight. Just one soul. The price of one soul is far too great. The truth today is you, you got to understand that you may be reluctant, but you're also, you're not, I said nobody owns a position, but let me say this, you are not replaceable. Did you hear me? I said you are not replaceable. There is no indication in this story that God had a plan B if Jonah refused to go. He didn't have a substitute waiting in the wings. Jonah was God's plan. Whatever God tells you to do, you are God's plan. Jonah needed to do what God called Jonah to do. You need to do what God is leading you to do. We need you in the game. Now this morning I want to talk before we open this altar. I want to talk to some folks that maybe you haven't even gotten in the game yet this morning. I came to tell you, you've waited and you've resisted long enough. You've hesitated long enough. You've felt the personal pain of refusing. Maybe for some of you, maybe your life has gone overboard. Maybe your dreams have been swallowed up. Not only that, you may not even realize it, but you've put countless others at risk. So why not surrender to the call today? Don't, don't try to put it off until you think, oh, I'll get everything straightened up and better, and then, then I'll come. No. You come, God will get everything straightened up and better. Don't put it off. Today is your day to get in the game. Don't put it off and put others at risk any longer. Listen, the coach, the coach, is calling for you. He wants to put you in the game and in the lineup. And for the rest of us this morning... It's time to quit running and get in the game. God did not call any of us. Listen, we, we like to celebrate this in Pentecost. I've heard the testimony many, many, many years. A lot of times from people that didn't do anything except sit on a church pew once or twice a week. It's a great testimony, but that might have been all they did. I've heard it from others who were workers, don't get me wrong, but I've heard it from some that all they did was sit on a pew once or twice a week and that good old testimony and it's a good testimony but they would say I'm saved sanctified filled with the sweet Holy Ghost and that's a wonderful testimony I am too I'm saved sanctified and filled with the sweet Holy Ghost we like to celebrate that but God didn't stop there after he saved us if you turn to the book of Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 you know what he said now that you're saved he said you need to go if I tell you to go somewhere this morning, you can't sit in your seat and go wherever I tell you to go. You've got to get up and actually go. So it's one thing to celebrate being saved, sanctified, and maybe if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's wonderful to celebrate. If you're not, you need to seek it to be filled with it. But after that, you need to get about your Father's business. God is calling you to go. Preach the gospel. Maybe not preach like I'm preaching. Share the gospel. Show the love of Jesus. Win many to the kingdom of heaven. That's what God's calling us all to do. So it's time to take the field this morning. We need you in the rotation. We're going to talk specifically about that next week. But today is the day when you say, God, deal with me this week and show me whatever it is you want me to do. I'm ready to take the field. I recognize that 
I've got a place on this team. Everybody's got a place on this team.